Romans chapter 5. We are in week number 6 of a series on suffering, which will probably reach its climax on Easter Sunday, in case you're sick of it and <laughs> you want it to end. Uh, Easter Sunday is probably where, we will, where we'll finish off. Um, Linda preached last week about, about trusting God and about God's peace in, in our suffering. Um, the journey so far, where have we been? We, we, we started off looking at a picture of Jesus, a, just a big, glorious picture of Jesus from Revelation 1. And then we went to the question of why, the problem of evil. Then we, we looked at facing the darkness instead of running from difficulties that we are called as the people of God to stand and to, to face them. Um, we looked at uh, having an eternal perspective regarding life, that this is not all there is, that this is only a tiny, tiny part of what there is. And we have to have that eternal perspective in order to ground what we are doing in the here and now. And last week, as I said, Linda, Linda mentioned about or preached about suffering and trusting God in suffering. Have you ever found yourself under pressure? Anybody ever been under? Some of you look like you're definitely under pressure. Scotty, all right. <laughs> um, ever find yourself under pressure and whether positive or negative, something comes out of you and you think to yourself, I didn't know I had that in me. Maybe you're in a, in a very difficult, strained situation and you have to respond to it and you respond to it in a way that makes you think, I, I didn't realize I had that depth of passion or emotion or character within me. It has never really come out before. Or maybe in a negative way, you're under pressure and something comes out of you that you're not so proud of. <laughs> and you think, I didn't know I had that in me. But either way, whenever pressure comes on us, whatever is inside us will become very clearly exposed. That we, we do tend to put a bit of a hard outer shell around ourselves and we do tend to hide behind it and pretend we've got everything sorted out. But then the pressure comes on and that cracks and out through the cracks oozes whatever is deep inside. And it will come to all of us eventually, a level of pressure that will really reveal what is in our hearts and what is in our lives. Um, I've been under, under pressure lately in a, in a particular context and I'm quite surprised at how I've responded to it because I'm not, I'm not really a squabbler. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a confrontational person. I'm not a person who's, who, who just moans and, and bickers about everything. I tend to just sort of get on with it. But I've been you know, in a situation lately and I'm actually surprised at the sheer rage that has welled up inside me about the injustice that I have seen and that I have stood against. I really am surprised, you know, sitting to think about it, just the, the, the pure righteous anger that I feel about what I see going on. Pressure cracks out and brings out what's inside. And in Romans chapter 5, Paul talks about, about pressure. I'm going to read the first five verses, and when you, when you read these verses, I read them this morning in the kitchen at home, and, and just reading over this and thinking... Just reading this, you're on holy ground. This really is, you know, did, did Paul write with a pen or a quill or was it a shoehorn? Because he just seems to squeeze so much into only a few words. This is Romans 5 verses 1 to 5. Therefore, 
Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. That is some rich pickings right there. Even the first two verses that I'm not really going to dip into hardly at all. Just powerful truths about our salvation, about what Jesus has done for us and the access we have to God. But what I want to focus in on is verses 3, 4, and a little bit of verse 5. In verse 3 it says that we rejoice in our sufferings. And the word for sufferings is going to appear on the screen any moment now due to our technological wizardry at at the back. Um, The Greek word for sufferings is the word thlipsis. Say thlipsis. Maybe you need to see it to say it. Thank you. Is it there yet? There it is. Now, we don't normally do this, but that word's going to stay there the whole time. Thlipsis. And it's a word that has actually become really bizarre, but it it has become really important to me this past six months or so because I feel personally I've been in a a period of thlipsis. And I remember studying the word years and years ago or listening to, to, to a guy teaching on it. And I'd sort of forgotten about it. And in November, I was in Edinburgh and I was chatting to, to one of the leaders on, on the Forge course, one of the teachers, uh, on the Friday night. And I, was always, I always arrive on the Friday night pretty weary. And I was chatting to him about a few things that were going on. And he said, you need to go away and do a word study on thlipsis. And, I, and it sparked, and I think I remember that word. So, so I'd, I've been thinking about it a lot this past few months, this word thlipsis. It literally means pressure. And it is the word that is used throughout the New Testament for suffering, for pressure, for tribulation. Whenever people are going through trials, whether it's Jesus, whether it's Paul, whether it's the church, the word that is used most frequently is this word, thlipsis. In in John 16, 33, Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. That's our word. That's more than trouble. Thlipsis is, is, is... not minor inconveniences. It's not your car breaking down. All right? it's, it's not the small day-to-day irritations that everybody faces in life. Thlipsis is, is, is big, major issues. Huge challenges and pressures that don't just come and go in a day or two. That don't just appear and then you say, well, I know what to do about that and I'll do this and I'll do that and that'll be it sorted. This is ongoing, continual pressure. In Acts 14, the word is used again in verse 22. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. That's our word again, thlipsis, pressure. Coming into the kingdom of God is no small, easy thing. And we do people a great disservice if we lead them to Jesus in a way that does not allow them to count the cost. That does not allow them to really reflect on the depth of what they're doing. And we just are so concerned about getting a convert, getting a box ticked. We do them a disservice. Through many hardships, we enter the kingdom of God. 
through suffering, through trial, through pressure. And another one just to let you see again where the word is used in James 1.27, lovely verse about the reality of our faith working itself out in how we live. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That word distress, again, that's our word. And this is not pointless pressure. Some people, you know, we, we look at, at suffering a lot of the time and we think, what is the point? And I think it's up to us sometimes whether we allow our suffering to be something that is pointless and that is a waste of time and that is something completely negative or whether we allow it to be thlepsis, whether we allow it to become pressure that has purpose. We face the darkness and we say, what can come out of this, God? Is there a point in this? And as you look at this word in the, in the Bible and, and in Greek writing, this word thlepsis, it is a word that is always to do with crushing something. But you're not crushing it to destroy it. You're crushing in order to bring something out of it. That's very important. Crushing in order to bring forth what is inside. So whenever the Bible speaks of olives being crushed in order that the olive oil will come from them, this is the word that's used, this thlepsis word. Whenever it talks about grapes being crushed so that the juice will come from the grape or being thrashed, being treaded, this is the word. It is pressure. Don't always run away from pressure. Don't always hide from it. Don't see it always as something negative. When God applies thlepsis, it is to bring something out of us that is good. It's also used of threshing wheat to produce flour. It's also used to talk about a baby being born, moving along the birth canal because of the pressure that is being put on. That's what the word is. It's always, don't, don't just get this negative mindset about suffering is always bad. No, this word is always a word that has an underlying purpose. This is happening to bring something forth. To bring something to birth. To produce something that we were born to produce. And it's a necessary part of life. And Debbie and I could go all scientific on you and talk about pressure and how pressure affects the world of science and makes things happen. And how you can take some boring old dull black graphite carbon and put it under high pressure and under high temperature. And then you get yourself a diamond. That can now be done in labs. It doesn't have to only be done in the, in the bowels of the earth. Pressure brings forth beauty. There's no pressure, there's no diamond. And what's inside us, as I said earlier, will come out. You know, one of my, I used to read Charles Spurgeon a lot, and I still dip into him now and again. Absolutely, the, the man was just, he was the Shakespeare of Christianity. He had a way with words that was absolutely beautiful. And my favorite Spurgeon quote, he actually was, was commenting on, on a verse in Matthew out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And he used this phrase, what's in the well will come up in the bucket. What's in the well will come up in the bucket. And I'm, I'm going to steal that and apply it to this. When, under pressure, what's inside us will come up. It will come out and it will be seen. And we're all going to face that. We're all going to face it. And people will really know if our faith is real whenever the pressure comes on. What's inside, what's in the well comes up in the bucket. 
I saw, I watched even, even here on Friday night, there was a, there was a few challenging scenarios on, on Friday night. And um, I watched how the guys dealt with it. And particularly, you know, Josh was, was taking the lead on Friday night. And I saw gold come out of them, you know. It's just, just how everyone mucked together and did their bit in order to deal with the situation. I just, I saw gold. That wouldn't have come out if, if people were just sitting at home doing nothing. In that situation of pressure, out came good, good things. So in verse, in verse 3 of our chapter, Romans 5, Paul says we rejoice in our suffering. He does not say we rejoice about suffering. You know, it's not a case of, you know, whoopity-doo, look, th- look, look at what I am suffering. That is not what he's saying. He's not trying to create some false attitude where we, we look at something that is bad and declare that it is good. He, say, he doesn't say we rejoice about our suffering. He says we, enjoy, we rejoice in it. We rejoice in it. We choose to still rejoice in that place of suffering. And that requires trust. You know what Linda talked about last week? You will not be able to obey the command of that verse if you don't trust God. You will not. You will, you will instinctively want to run away from suffering. And, and the previous week I talked about having an eternal perspective. And again, if you don't have an eternal perspective and a realization that this life is only a tiny, tiny part of eternity, if you don't have that attitude, you won't be able to rejoice in sufferings. You just won't. If your attitude is that this world and this life is all there is, you will not be able to obey that command. That's a biblical command, black and white on the pages of the Bible, and you will disobey it if you don't know how to trust God and if you don't have an eternal outlook. You know, the church tends to swing between two pendulums. I remember teaching in, in, across the way in Maggie's one time around about November, I think 2016, teaching about the kingdom of God. And we, we did a session one night on what theologians call the already and the not yet. If the church just lives in the already, that means we believe that everything has come now and and therefore we should be healthy and we should be wealthy and everything should be perfect and there should be no suffering. If we think that everything has already come, that's what our attitude will be. And that's what one extreme of the church lives in. And another extreme of the church says that it is not yet come and everything is a way off in the future and therefore we should never expect anything from God. And if people have that not yet mentality, they, just, they will never lay hold on God in prayer. They'll never really engage with their communities and the people around them expecting that God will show up and do something. They will just sit in the trenches and, and wait for the end. But what Paul talks about is living in the middle between the two. The already, not yet. The kingdom of God has come in Jesus, but it has not yet fully come. We are seeing the future breaking into the present, but it is not yet fully consummated. That's where we live. So we expect things from God and we do evangelism and we engage with people because we expect God to do things. And we pray for the sick. We expect God to do things. We know that the future has broken in, but at the same time, we know that it has not yet fully come. And we live with that in that, what Gordon Fee calls the radical middle, the already, the not yet. The kingdom has come, but has not yet fully come. And we know our future. 
And we know what Jesus did in the past on the cross. And therefore in the present we can rejoice. Even in suffering. So what does God want to bring forth from us in this phlepsis, this pressure? Look at verses 3 and 4. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character produces hope. I don't know about you, but I want perseverance. I want to be someone who can persevere. I want to be someone of character. And I want to know hope. Paul says those things come through the crushing pressure of phlepsis, of suffering, of pressure. He presents it all just like a, like a chain reaction. First of all, suffering brings forth perseverance. And the word for perseverance literally means to remain under. To remain under. It's two words mixed together. To remain under. In other words, to stand your ground under pressure. And to endure under it. That's what the word literally means. Perseverance is standing your ground under pressure. Jesus knew plenty about it. In Hebrews chapter 12. Read these verses a couple of weeks ago. But at the start of Hebrews 12. The writer says that. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Perseverance. He had an eternal perspective. And he was able to persevere. He was able to remain under. He was able to stand his ground when the pressure came. That is a characteristic that God wants his people to have. He wants to bring out in us. And it comes out of us whenever the crushing takes place. Whenever the phlepsis comes. That's when the oil comes. That's when the wine comes. Whenever the pressure is put on. So suffering will bring forth perseverance. And then perseverance will bring forth character. Now the word for character. Paul just made it up. No one before Paul actually used this word. It's unique to him in, in Greek literature. And it's not, it doesn't mean just character as in well that's a nice bloke or, or you know, a pleasant person. What this word character means is. It's something that has been tested and has been approved. It's something that has come through the furnace. It's like whenever Job said in, in, in Job 23 verse 10, he said that he, was, he knew he was being tested and when he had been tested, he would come forth as gold. That's the character we're talking about. Not just nice personal traits and characteristics, but actually what is presented after the gold has gone through the furnace. It's character that has been formed in affliction. It only comes to those who will receive the pressure that life throws at them. And have this attitude to it that this is not a waste of time. This is pressure with purpose. In, in Daniel I think it's Daniel 4, Daniel 3. In Daniel 3, the, the three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were thrown into the, into the fiery furnace. And whenever the king looks into the furnace, he sees four people. He says, I, I put three men in. Why do I see a fourth person in the fire? And I never noticed this before, and I can still remember. I remember hearing Carter Conlon preaching this years ago, and 
This has always stuck in my mind ever since. He said, there is no, there's nothing in the text of Daniel 3 to say that Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego saw the fourth man in the furnace. I believe the fourth man in the furnace was Jesus. It was God the Son, a theophany, an appearing of God. There's nothing in the text to say that the three guys in the furnace saw Jesus. But the ones who were outside looking in saw him. And sometimes in our, in our suffering and in our pressure, we can feel very alone. And we can be looking all around us and saying, Jesus, where are you? But others who are looking in can see him. In that furnace of affliction where character is formed, people can see Jesus in us. And this, this character, this brings maturity. And if we run away from pressure, we'll never be mature. And the church is plagued with immaturity because people so easily bounce around from one place to the next. And they go somewhere and they'll stay there for six months. They'll find that after six months, might not even take that long. Six minutes might be all it takes. You'll find someone you don't like. You know, you'll be in there and you're just like, oh, you know, that, that person just grates on me and I can't have them. And we run then. We go somewhere else and hop about from place to place. And, and we, 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 we run away from those situations that God would use to develop character in us. It's those relationships, those difficult relationships in particular, they use us to, to bring forth this gold. And our attitude should be, you know what, I don't get on that well with that person. I find it difficult with that person. I'm going to stay and let God bring forth some gold from that difficult relationship. From that difficult place of pressure. Instead of just running away. Let him bring forth this character that Paul talks about. You know if we run away from from the pressure and the suffering of life. What we're doing is we're, we're, we're doing what Adam and Eve did in the garden. I'm sure they did lots of things but better quickly get to the point. We're, we're, we're doing what Adam and Eve did in the garden in choosing which tree to eat from. Because they were told, I want you to eat from a, this tree of life, which is reliance on God. The other tree, the other tree was representative of good and evil. The other tree was them deciding, I know what's good for me, and I know what's evil for me. And I will decide what's good and what's evil. And whenever suffering comes our way and we turn our back and we run from it, we're eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We're saying, this thing that has happened is not good for me and I'm going to run from it. And that's what Adam and Eve did. They made their own decisions about what was good and what was evil instead of trusting God and eating from the tree of life. And the last thing that comes forth is hope. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. And this hope does not disappoint us. The world's notion of hope is always disappointing. It's always this might happen. It's always a case of this is what I would like to happen. This is the best outcome that I can think of and I hope that it will happen. Our hope is not based on what might happen. It is based on what has happened. That is the difference with Christian hope. Our hope is based in the historical fact of Jesus and his cross and resurrection. That is where it is anchored. And that's why our hope does not disappoint. We're not waiting for something to happen. It has already happened. And Paul goes on in verse 5 to talk about the love that underlies all of this. It says in verse 
In verse 5, hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. You know something you, you notice about God's love? It's not just about getting the warm fuzzies. It's not just about the nice feelings of, uh, you know, God loves me and I feel good about that. God's love is actually a creative thing. When, when we receive and when God pours out his love in our hearts, it then creates other things within us. Paul talks in 2 Corinthians 5.14 about being compelled by love. God's love then compelled Paul to spread the gospel. It wasn't just that Paul sat back and enjoyed the fact that he was loved by God. The love motivated him and moved him. And here we read that hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love. It's his love that then generates and stirs up this hope within us. Jesus himself talked a lot about suffering and obviously endured suffering on a massive scale. Go to, go to Matthew 13, please. The first person to use this word in the New Testament, this Thlipsis word, was Jesus when he told the parable of the sower. And when he explained the, the parable in chapter 13 and verse 20, he says, The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes, because of the word, he quickly falls away. I was reading a guy the other day on a different topic, and he said that sort of person is the curse of the 21st century church. Receive the word, but don't put down any roots. Don't put down any roots. And as soon as suffering and persecution, that's our word in the middle of verse 21, persecution, thlipsis. As soon as the pressure comes because of the word, and it will always come. No one has gone through the journey of following Jesus throughout life without facing the pressure that comes for accepting the word. When the pressure comes, he quickly falls away. He quickly falls away. There's no root. Do you have a root? Do you have a, a, a network under the surface that people don't see that will cause you to endure under persecution? To have that perseverance and stand your ground even when the hurricanes are blowing around you and you still stand your ground. Jesus said this... this perseverance or this this persecution this sleeps this pressure shows whether or not you have put down roots since you received the word and in john 16 again i read it earlier he guarantees that it'll come he says in this world you will have tribulation but i have overcome the world it's not all bad news in this world you will have tribulation but i have overcome the world and although this sleeps is pressure with a purpose and the point of it is to bring something forth. 
In Romans 8.35, the word is used again. And Paul says, he asks the question, what can separate us from the love of Christ? And he says, shall Thlepsis separate us? No, it won't. The pressure, the crushing that comes from all angles sometimes will not separate us from the love of Christ. And it's interesting to to poke a little bit deeper into the word. And I'm nearly done. There's a, there's, a, there's a great website called Blue Letter Bible for doing stuff like this, for just poking around in words and finding out what they mean. And you can then go into root words behind the words and see where they have come from. This word, thlepsis, when you, when you do a, few, a couple of clicks on, on Blue Letter Bible, you, you find that it comes from another word, which is in Greek is the word tribo. And it's only in your Bible three times. In the New Testament, it's the, it's the root word behind thlepsis. And it's used in Matthew, Mark, and Luke for the same thing each time. And it's a word, the word trebo speaks about friction. Things rubbing away, eroding. Just that, again, that pressure, that constant pressure, eroding something, wearing away rocks and sharp edges. And the place where it's used in, uh, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke is whenever you're reading about John the Baptist and he's quoting from Isaiah and it says, A voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. That's a picture of, of, a, of a path that a king was going to travel to a city along. And before the king would come, out would go the, the officials of the city and the laborers of the city and they would go along the path and they would remove all the rocks. They would remove all the things that would hinder or potentially damage the king's carriage as he came along. That, that's the image. Prepare the way of the Lord. And this, this is the word that's used. When it says make straight paths for him. That Greek word trebo is used. Friction, wearing away all the bumps and humps in the road, making a way for the king. Whenever this pressure is allowed to do its work, then the king can come. Whenever this pressure is allowed to wear away the rough parts and leave a smooth road, that road is not for us to walk on. That road is for the king to come on. Pressure makes a way for Jesus to come and for, and for Jesus as well, I believe, to come from us to others. The way I see this in my mind, and I'm running about all over the place, but the way I see it is, is as the pressure comes and the friction comes, the road is smoothed out and other people will be able to see the king because I've allowed him to smooth out the road and make a way for him. That's what this pressure does. The last verse I want you to look at is in Psalm 118. It's been precious to me for about six months. Because I had one of those God moments where somebody prays over you on a Tuesday night. It was Jackie. And then the next morning you read the same thing in your reading plan and you're just like, yeah. Love it. That doesn't happen very often for me, just so you know. I'd, I would hate to give the impression that it's something that, that is a daily occurrence. And I have to be honest with you, most Sunday mornings I wake up 
And about half five or six o'clock, I have this wee argument in bed with God. And I say, I can't do this again, <laughs> you know. The, the pressure's causing the cracks to, to come. So I'm not, don't, don't, be, don't be saying me as some invincible tower of strength who, who, has, who sees angels, you know, every time he walks into the kitchen. It doesn't happen. But one Tuesday night here, last term, um, Jackie prayed for me and, and, and prayed about, she said, I see, a, I see a baby in a birth canal. And I see God bringing something forth in the, in the, in the birth canal bringing, and, and bringing, bringing you to a, a, a place where there is room to move. And there is air to breathe, and you can open your eyes. Um, and that was the, the picture that she shared as she, she prayed with me. And the next day, I was reading Psalm 118, verse 5. Um, and it says, In my anguish, I cried to the Lord, and he answered by setting me free. Now, I love the NIV, but that's an awful translation. And I'm going to give it a shot at something better. In my anguish would be better read in my pressure. I cried to the Lord and he answered me by delivering me. The picture is one of birth, clearly. And Jesus uses our word, us in John 16, 21, to talk about childbirth and labor. And the, the Old Testament, although the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the version that Paul would have used, I think a lot of people think Paul used the King James Version, but he didn't. The version that Paul would have used of the Old Testament was, was the Greek version. It wasn't the Hebrew version. It was in Greek. It was called the Septuagint. And if you've ever read any sort of Christian books or theology books and you see LXX, that's Roman numerals referring to the Septuagint, the, the Greek version of the Old Testament. And in the, in the Greek version where it says in verse 5, in my anguish, which I have said would be better rendered in my pressures, in the Greek version, that's our word, thlipsis. In the pressure, I cried to God. In the birth canal, in the place where there's just crushing all around and you can't move your arms and you can't move your legs and you can't see and you can't breathe properly yet. In that pressure, I cried to the Lord and he delivered me. <coughs> pressure with a purpose, right? Pressure with a purpose, not pointless. For the non-believer, it might be pointless or it might appear pointless. For Christians who are, who, are, who are very, very unfamiliar with the word of God, it might appear pointless. But for those who know him and love him and trust him, Thlipsis is pressure with a purpose. It is to bring something forth. It is to bring something out that is beautiful. Out of the grape come in the juice. Out of the olive oil come in the oil. Or out of the olive come in the olive oil. In my pressure, I cried to the Lord and he answered me by setting me free. I mentioned earlier that this word speaks of crushing the grape and threshing the wheat. It's the word that's used to talk of, you know, whenever, whenever the, the wheat or the grain is gathered and then it is threshed to get the flour. Now follow me, I'm nearly done. Whenever it's threshed to get the flour, that's the word that's used. Thlipsis. What do you use, what do you use flour to make? It's not a trick question. What do you use flour to make? Bread. And I also mentioned that the word is used of the grapes 
Thlepsis, when you do thlepsis on the grape, the juice comes from the grape. What do you use grape juice to make? Wine. That's good, isn't it? At the very heart of the church of Jesus Christ, there is a table. And on the table, there are two things. There's bread and there's wine. I've never realized this before until that moment of breaking on a, late on a Saturday night when you're pacing around the kitchen and thinking, what's going on here, God? And it suddenly dawned on me that at the very heart of the church is the bread and the wine, and both of them cannot be produced without thlepsis. Emblems of pressure, emblems of crushing Reminding us of the one who was crushed when you read Isaiah 53. Crushed, bruised, wounded for us. Pressure is at the very heart of the Christian church, at the very heart of the Christian faith. The emblems that we use to remember him cannot be provided. We cannot set those things on the table unless at a previous point something has been crushed. This is pressure with a purpose. If you remember no other Greek word, remember this one for a while. Pressure with a purpose. To bring forth. To make a way for the king. It is not a waste of time. It is not to be ran from. It is not to be celebrated in some false manner. But it's to be rejoiced in. And one of the things that I've been praying a lot this past six months is just, God, what is it? What do you want to bring forth? What do you want to change? What needs to break? What rocks are still in the road that prevent the king from coming and from going? Just trying not to be ignorant, you know, because in pride you can just ignore pressure, but instead just throwing yourself on your face in front of God and say, God, what, what is it? What needs to be crushed? What needs to be broken and taken away? Show me. And receive this as something that he can use. He can work all things together for good because we love him. I fear for those who don't love him when pressure comes. But for those who do love him, we know that it's got a purpose and it cannot separate us from his love. Let's pray.